0: Now, Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the let Track Talk podcast. It was a wild weekend in Houston with Sarah Hall breaking the American record in the half marathon. Barely an hour later, Kira D'Amato followed that up by taking down Dina Castor's 16-year-old American record in the full marathon going to break down those performances and everything else from houston we're also going to have some clips from the first episode of the let's run.com coaches tour with on athletics club head coach jathan Ritzenhain. you can watch the full video interview with ritz on the let's run homepage right now it's also available to our let's run.com supporters club members as a podcast if you want to sign up for that it's let's run.com slash subscribe this is jonathan galt I'm joined by my co hosts, the co founders of Let's Run.com, Robin and Welland Johnson. Guys, anything else you want to talk about this week? I hope you're doing well. I know it was a difficult week for our, for our playoff teams in the NFL.
1: Wow. That was an upbeat intro, John.
0: I'm looking at you, worried about
1: you. Hopefully, this isn't a violation of the Hip Act. Since the last time, everyone's seen John. John. Well, I guess you, those of you Sorry South Walden can't see him right now, Jonathan Galt has tested positive for COVID. How are you doing, John? You look good. I'm doing well. Are you doing the podcast from quarantine right now?
0: Kind of, sort of. I, my fifth full day of quarantine was yesterday, Tuesday. So technically, I am allowed to be out and about a little bit, though, with some precautions. I'm going to try to get a COVID test today and see if I test negative, but really pretty much all the symptoms are gone. wasn't a fun weekend, sore throat, some congestion, but I'm vaccinated and boosted. So I trust that that ameliorated some of the effects. But yeah, it's a little unfortunate. I went to Miami a couple of weeks ago to see the Patriots against the Dolphins, and I was worried because Florida is a hot spot for COVID. Didn't have a very good air circulation on my flight back. I was like, shoot, I really hope I don't get COVID. I got covid my two friends that i went with did not so i guess i was just unlucky but i'm on the mend and ready to talk some track with you guys
2: blame the southerners john blame the southerners
0: i made the decision to go and it's i mean travel i think you're probably more likely to test positive when you know in that i think the plane honestly like if the plane had good circulation i would have been like pretty comfortable but the little thing above where you can sort of twist it to let air in, that wasn't working at all. It just felt hot and stuffy. I feel like that was the most likely cause of getting COVID, especially since my two buddies, who I traveled with, were not on the same flight.
2: Do we want to call out an airline here, John?
0: Nah, no, no. You know, I do travel a fair amount for, for my work, so don't want to be put on any do not fly list. But all right. I appreciate you guys, your concern. I am doing well. John, that's for the best.
2: Because now you know you're not going to get COVID before the Milrose Games. They're less than two weeks away. I've confirmed a few things. The beer party is on after the Milrose Games. Evil Twin Brewery. There's going to be a party afterwards in the infield. You can buy tickets to that. If you've never been to the Milrose Games or you're thinking of going to the Milrose Games, thought about it, or have gone in the past, not sure you want to go, this is the year to go. I mean, the fields are amazing. I'm not just saying that because they're paying us to talk about it. But, I mean, it's really true. And last week, I mean, okay, the 60 stack.
0: Christian Coleman return, Noah Lyles. Oh, Trayvon Bromell, Ronnie Baker. That that could be a better race than the World Championship Final. I mean, you don't have Marcel Jacobs, but... There are four Americans there. A maximum of three of them can make the world championship final indoors. So that one should be terrific. The 800. A guy
2: on Twitter said he's like the pride of Trenton. He's buying tickets because he listens to our podcast. We should probably call this guy out by name. A thing Mo returning to action for the first time in 2022. Taking on Ajay Wilson, who hasn't lost it in... uh, at the armory since like 2013. I assume she's going to lose for the first time and get stomped in this race, but this is a great indoor matchup. The 3k men's 3k is probably the best men's 3k. And from us perspective and what?
0: Maybe since 2016 USA yeah. indoors. That was a great race with uh, Ryan Hill and Paul Chalimo. Weldon, I don't think you've been following the news on the let's run homepage because the thing Mo actually has raced this year. She ran the mile, this past weekend. I know that Robert's going to talk about that because there's nothing more that Robert likes to do than talk about how good someone's going to be in the 800 when they PR in the mile. And Thingmo Mo did that over the weekend. But that's going to be great. Just this morning, I don't know if you guys saw this, Donovan Brazier, he'll be racing for the first time since the Olympic trials last year. And he's running the 400 meters. So it's interesting. He usually shows up to this meet and breaks the American record. So I'm very curious to see what he does in the 400 the American record there is actually... I'm not sure. Is Michael Norman's American... Is that time ratified as the American record? Because it was never ratified as the world record. I don't think Brazier is going to get that, but just I'm excited to see what he does in the 400. And then, they, like, interesting side
2: plots. You guys were talking about Wanamaker Mile last year, and somehow, like, Hobbs Kessler's name was mentioned. I didn't really even think about it. But usually on its own, I would be super pumped to hear Hobbs Kessler, who's now, what, 18? taking on the big boys and I want to make her mile. I mean, it's sort of, but that's like the 10th storyline for this meet. So get your tickets, millrosegames.org. All
0: right. I think we need to talk about Houston now. This, I mean, this was the race. This could be the race of the year on the roads in the United States. I know we have a world championship marathon to come, but I mean, when else are we ever going to see an American record in the half marathon and marathon broken at the same race? Within ninety minutes of each other. That was it was madness on Sunday morning in Houston with Kira D'Amato two nineteen twelve and Sarah Hole sixty seven fifteen.
1: Absolutely amazing. And I think Weldon said it best when he summed it up on the message board on Sunday. He said, Tell me how I'm wrong. Kira D'Amato's American record in the marathon is the coolest story in school, coolest story in the sport this century. I just think it's an amazing story. There's now almost 200 posts on this topic, many of them not agreeing with Weldon because Weldon called her a rags to riches thing. And he doesn't mean financially she's rags people. It's just like, this is a woman who got married, had kids, didn't run for seven years, never really even had a pro career until recently. And now she's the American record holder in the marathon. Absolutely mind blowing which she's accomplished. Yes. She was good in college. You have to have talent to set an American record. That's true. But in terms of underdogs, breaking the American record, this is about as big of an American underdog as you can get. Yes. I think she was a four time all American in cross country, but she went to American university. Wasn't like she was at Oregon or Villanova or BYU or anything like that. Some traditional power. She got fifth at the NCAA cross, which is, is damn good. But her track PRs, come on, people, 422 for 1,500, over 16 minutes for 5,000 meters. And she tried to run a year or two after college, I think. And now she has the American record in the marathon. 15-year-old record is history. Of course, it wouldn't have helped. It would not have happened without the super shoes. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying she's as good as Dina Castor, but it's still an incredibly cool story.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's totally wild. Like, this woman, let's be real, no one had heard of this woman two years ago. She was 35 years old. Her personal best was 234. If I asked you who Kira D'Amato was, you would have had no idea. That It's her who breaks the American record when we've had so many talents come through in this event. Shalane Flanagan, Des Linden, Cara Gaucher, Amy Craig, Molly Seidel now all these women coming through were like, Oh, well one of them finally get to run something fast and go off to Dina. And it's this woman, no one could have considered, but who has big goals. And she, you know, she ran Chicago in October and she fell short and she was like, you know what? I'm still in pretty good shape. I'm just going to keep going. She wins the U S half championships in December in 67.55, And she says, hell, you know, I'm going to take some time off after, you know, to focus on the track season next year anyway. But before I do, I might as well just try and run a marathon. It's, it's kind of crazy how it came together. It's not like, you know, this was some long-term plan. Oh, we're going to be going for it. It was more like, no, I think I'm really in shape to rock a marathon right now. And she did. So it, it, the whole thing is, is crazy.
2: John, since I started that thread, I just love this story. Just her breaking this record was so unexpected. Even her talking about breaking the record, I th- might have thought was a little bit crazy we had the Friday 15 podcast on Friday. And I'm like, wow, she really thinks she can do this. I mean, her last marathon was a 228 in Chicago. Now, granted, it was very hot that day. But this record has been there hanging. And it became sort of, I wouldn't say low-hanging fruit with super shoes. But a lot of women more credentialed than Kira had a chance to break it. And none of them really came close. So for her to be like, you know what? I'm going to give it a go. I just love that gumption.
0: Well, well, you say that a bunch of people had a shot at it. I don't, I know I mentioned, although we mentioned all those women who have been Titans of the American marathon scene, but a lot of them have run either New York or Boston or the Olympics or the Olympic trials in terms of like real American record attempts. Shalane Flanagan made one that I can remember in Berlin in 2014. I can't ever remember Des Linden going after it or Kara Goucher. Sarah Hall made an attempt at the marathon project in 2020, and she ran the second fastest time ever. Jordan Hasay, you know, she only ran really th- three great marathons. Two of them were in Boston, so I think that is one of the parts of this of why Dina's record has endured so long, even for the first five years of the Super Shoe era was because a lot of our best marathoners in this country weren't going after attempts and getting good weather in those attempts. But, and that's kind of why I think this record could be broken again in the not so distant future as we're getting a nice younger crop of marathon. I mean, who else do you think in the marathon scene right now in the US could break this record? I think Seidel maybe, if she gets in a fast course. Who knows when that will be, but I think that's a possibility. But actually, is there anyone else you think could do it?
1: Yes. I think Sarah Hall, although it's unlikely.
0: I don't think, Actually, Sarah Hall's a good point. Why do you think it's unlikely? She just ran faster than D'Amato in the half.
1: Because a 67-minute half marathon is not as good as a 219 basically flat marathon. And then Jordan say potentially, although I'm getting close to putting <laughs> a, stick, a, a stick and a fork in there. But look, there are th- that... The reason why it hasn't been broken, the reason why it's last 15 years is even in the super shoe eras, you basically, I mean, how much do you think the shoes are worth? Two, three, four minutes? I think the studies have said anywhere from one to four. I mean, I know for me, it would be at least 10 seconds a mile, but you know, you've got to be at least, I would say, let's say the shoes are worth three minutes, which is probably on the high side. I think one study said two minutes and 10 seconds for elite women, but you need to be a 222 woman. And how many women in the history of U.S. running have ever run 222 without super shoes? Well, you got Dina Castro, obviously. But the other person on that list, Shailene Flanagan, 22114; Joan Benoit Samuelson, 22121. That's it. Jordan isay, I think in 2017 when she, she ran her 22057, probably had super shoes. Amy Craig definitely had super shoes when she broke 222.
0: So, Des Linden did run 222 in Boston. The windy year, but she didn't have super suit shoes. But Robert, I, I think that sort of detracts from your point because you're saying, Oh, you have to be a two twenty two woman, but like some of these women could have been faster, but they never really went for it. Like Meb Kofleski, you really think he's a two, like would you say he's a two oh eight talent? Of course he wouldn't, but that's the fastest he ran because he was always running these non championship races. So I do think that does play a role in race selection. But also in the marathon, I think certain people are time
2: trailers and certain aren't. Meb, I just, I think going to London and banging it from the gun wasn't his forte. And this record, yeah, obviously without Super Shoes, it wouldn't be gone. And by the time you're hearing this, well, if it's after 7.30pm on Wednesday, we're doing a live show with Kier D'Amato and Dina Castor. I think it'd be really cool to bring them together. And no, I don't think this run is better than Dina's. Dina was amazing that year. I think she was the number one ranked marathoner in the number two ranked marathoner in the world that year and just sort of disappointed with her season. This is nowhere close to that. But if somebody was going to get the record, I guess you could argue we have it. want to have it both ways because we're like, oh, this record's cheap, blah, blah, blah. But Kira D'Amato just in houston of all places saying yeah i'm gonna go for the record sort of by myself i mean she brought in her pacers she leaves no nothing unchecked she brings in her own pacers she pulled her kids from school just that mindset i and then robert talked about how he ran 67 minutes a minute ahead of Catherine and Durebbe. then she went out and ran i think what 218 in the marathon i'm like wow maybe she has an outside chance of doing this and the john i woke up You texted me like she's on pace at 10K or something. I'm like, okay, 10K of a marathon, not much going to happen. Halfway on pace. But then she started slowing, and I just kind of assumed, okay, well, this thing's going to end. She's going to run 220 and change, maybe worse. And then then I think I didn't really check the split again until 40K, and I'm like, oh, my God, she's got it. Yeah. She never gave up. She knew the wind was out of, I think, the northwest, and she knew she was running into the wind from, like, 15k to 30k or something like that and she's like when i turn for home i'm gonna get the wind back at my, at my back and i can make up some time it was just so epic she made the today show people i think when's the last time a distance runner made the today show that wasn't a part of nbc promoting some olympic thing
0: i can't remember that i think it's interesting well and you said with the wind that's a key part of it because at the time i'm looking to split some like This doesn't make sense. No one starts slowing down. I mean, she was still under record pace at 30k, to be fair. But no one starts slowing down and then suddenly just magically recovers like that in a record chase time trial scenario. But she got to 18. She knew if I can get to 18 miles, I have the wind at my back. It's kind of a straight shot. And that really helped her. But also she mentioned, and this is strange. I don't usually hear this in record attempts either. She's like, no, I wasn't feeling good. Like a lot of times when people run their best race ever, you'll say, oh, yeah, you know, it felt really easy. I was in the groove. Maybe the last lap or two was difficult, but they'll usually say they were feeling great. This was not the case with Kira D'Amato. It was a struggle for her. She kept battling. She got through some rough patches. And then at the end, you did see she picked it up and was able to sprint across the line. But really a, a tough, gutsy run, despite running so, so fast.
1: Truly epic. And if you haven't been to the homepage today, Check it out now. The week that was, I broke it down: the wind, the splits. How did Kira uh, do this? You know me; I'm obsessed with the weather. I'm obsessed with the wind. It's a shame I wasn't doing the broadcast, uh, commentating, because I probably would have been able to look up the weather. But I, I wasn't really watching this race. You guys were texting. I got one text, but I didn't even, wasn't even looking at my text. I saw that she was on pace through 5K or something, and then. I went to my computer after the race was over and was like, is this April Fool's and let's run? There's two American records. But look, to break the record, Dina's record was 519.5 per mile. From 15K to 30K, she ran 521.9. So she's two seconds per mile too slow at 30K. And she hits a 30K split. She's going to on pace exactly for DNA's record. She would break it by one second. So she had no nothing to spare. So, I mean, you know, they say halfway is 30K in, in, in a marathon. She's totally screwed. But no, not if you factor in the wind. But to, to, to gut it out like that is unreal. And, and, to, and, to, and, to, and to keep faith and think, okay, when I hit 30K, I'm going to have the wind at my back. You know, and yes, she had two male pacers that helped her. Um, you know, it, but still it's just incredible. And I'm glad to hear she was on the today show because when this happened, you know, my wife's not a runner, but I went to tell her, I was like, look, this lady who didn't run competitively for seven years has two kids, a full-time job. You know, she did something today that full-time pros for 15 years that live at altitude can't do, couldn't do. She did it living at sea level. With a local coach, and that's another part of this thing that's cool. who's her damn coach? She says she thinks she has the best coach in the in the in the world, her country, Scott Rascoe hats off to Mr. Rascoe because this guy was crucified. Younger people, you may not know who he was. he coached Alan Webb in high school to a three fifty three mile and then when Webb struggled despite running, he also coached Webb to a three forty six American record in the mid months miles professional so Despite those accomplishments, this guy was crucified on Let's Run, you know, for not knowing what he's doing, ruining Webb's career, etc. I remember I met Masco one time at the New Balance indoor games in Boston. I thought, wow, he's not a total idiot. Like they make him sound like on Let's Run. But I said on the Friday 15, when we were contemplating this American record, by the way, if you haven't signed up, let's slash subscribe. Cause we were contemplating this, John, it just, we were, you, you talked to Kira before the race. She didn't really say she was going for the American market, but we said, could she possibly do this? And I said at the time, I said, if she does it, I've got to make t-shirts. One of the favorite sayings on Let's Run during Webb's career was he's back, baby, because he would go up and he would go down. And when he'd have a good race, people say he's back, baby. And I said, I got to make a shirt. He's back, baby. Scott Rasko, we put 219.12 on it, 346, whatever it is on it. John got a little bit miffed when I proposed that at the time, he said, you're going to make an American record about a woman. You're going to make a shirt about a man when an American woman, when a woman sets an American record. I said, well, you know, Kira's Nike. She probably, I can't make a t-shirt about her. I'll get sued. So Mr. Rasko, if you want me to make a t-shirt, Hey, when you guys talk to Kira today, see if she'll approve the t-shirt for me today.
0: Well, the interesting thing here, Robert is about Roscoe. You got a text. I don't know if you want to reveal the identity of the author of this text, but he pointed out to you, he has coached, you could make an argument, the two most iconic American distance running records, which is Alan Webb's 346 mile, and now, you know, it was Dina 2 21936 marathon, and now he coached the one who broke that. I think there's a case to be made that's true.
1: Yeah. Well, by the way, I forgot to put that text in the week that was, I'm going to put it in there. Chris Catton of run CCG is one of the top online coaches in the country. Texted me that. And I agree with that because the 1500 records don't resonate like the mile.
0: I mean, what, right mo- now, what is the 1500 record American record? Do you know who has it and what the time is?
1: Well, God has it, right? Three 3- Correct. 28 something.
0: No, it's 327. It was only ratified a couple of years ago retroactively once USATF realized he had American citizenship. So no one even celebrated it at the time because no one knew it was an American record because no one knew who's an American citizen. Wait, Wait that's it,
2: the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He wasn't even representing the U.S. at the time? No, I'm sorry, the
0: record doesn't count. We're taking that away. You have to
2: represent the U.S.,
0: no? The rule was, if you're an American citizen... That, remember, this was happened when Mondo DiPlantis broke the American record in the pole vault at the European Championships, and everyone was like, this is a joke. We had a... We, we got all bent out of shape about the, it when it happened. But yes, that's so, the American record is when he was running for Kenya.
2: So the rules changed because now you'd be representing the country. Correct. But also, Legat, there was some, I don't know what the word is, shady stuff kind of going on. Because for a while, he kept it hidden that he was an American citizen so he could compete for Kenya the first year, right? That is the factual statement, correct?
0: Yeah, because Kenya doesn't allow dual citizenship. So... If he wanted to, he was either had to keep it a secret and compete at the Olympics. If he made it public, he was not going to be able to compete in the 2004 Olympics when he won a silver medal. Kip, I'm sorry. I shouldn't
2: have said shady. I should have just said smart. (laughs) Some smart stuff going on.
1: Yeah. Plus, Lagotte ran faster for Kenya than he did the U.S., so that's not that iconic. When you look at the men's marathon, Canucci already had the world record when he was running for Morocco. So when he gets the American record as an, you know, when he becomes a US citizen, that's not that significant. Um you know, the five and ten records are, are sort of being broken fairly right. regularly. What about Evan a, Jager?
0: Evan's favorite race. Sorry, Weldon's favorite race, Paris Diamond League 2015. That's a pretty iconic American record. Eight flat.
1: But he didn't break eight. And I just think what was special about Dina's record was it was the first and only American t- time under two under two twenty. And now we have a second. So.
2: And it gives me hope, John, you said how many current American women could break it. I'm not sure. Seidel's the one name that comes to my mind, but I'm like, wait, if Kira D'Amato can run 219, no offense to her. We got to get women start in the U S running at least 217 to 18. They got to raise the bar. So now the bar has been raised, right? She's run 219. That's going to inspire other women to think, Oh, Wow. People like me can do this. It's not some like invincible god like Dina c- can only run that fast. Like this is more doable. It's more in the in, in the my wheelhouse. So, just super impressive and part of the rags to riches thing. This woman ran a three fourteen marathon five years ago, and when we first put this up, I said. In March 2017, that's less than five years ago, Demato ran 314 in her marathon debut at the Shamrock Shovel, Shamrock Marathon. We have a correction to make. That was not Kira Demato's debut. A let'srun.com sleuth has emailed us and wishes to remain anonymous. But the best that we can tell is Kieran Demato's marathon debut was a 349. At the Missoula-Montana Marathon, now that's an altitude, in 2013. 3.49. That's crazy. I mean, she was so out of the sport. The fact that she could get back in it, obviously she was talented, and break the American record. It's just where your dreams become reality. That's why I love it. But some people don't get the analogy. And then, should we go there? I mean, huge thread. Kira D'Amato's run is suspicious. I'm suspicious of Kira D'Amato. I think she's receiving the ultimate compliment. People think this is too good to be true. It's got to be
0: pharmacology. What's the word? Pharmacologically enhanced, something like that. I think, look, I think it's fair to at least broach that topic. I mean, she's made an outstanding breakthrough. I can't ever remember someone making this sort of an improvement this late in her career. But we also know she was a big talent who had an injury problem. Uh, she was also apparently not in the right event because she was running the 1500 where clearly her talent lies in the long distance. And she also, she's it's not like she, you know she's continued to, it's not like she just went from 219 in her first marathon back. She has continued to improve. When she ran 228 in Chicago, it was a hot day and she was not healthy. Remember, she was injured last year at Costa, the Olympic trials. And she's also got the super shoes now. So I just think there's a lot of things to weigh in. Like, I remember last year when Kira was setting up her American record attempt in the 10 mile, she was really worried that there wasn't going to be enough money for drug testing. She said, I'm already spending a few thousand dollars putting this thing on. And then out of my own pocket, I'm going to have to pay three or four thousand dollars just for like to drug test basically just me. Like, do we, is this really, you know necessary, but she's like, I kind of think it has to be necessary because I don't want anyone to have any doubts about me. So she eventually got a grant. And then when she broke the American record, it was able to be ratified because the grant paid for the drug testing. So yeah, of course you can bring up the suggestion, but I also don't like the idea of, she's never been connected to anyone in my knowledge who (coughs) has been banned or anything like that. She's not in any circles where I raise about who she's training with, who she's represented by, that sort of thing. So I think, I just think you got to be really careful about bringing up just, oh, she must be doping. Well, when all you're going off is the times.
1: I was done when Weldon started this rags to riches thread and people were like suspicious. I was like, what? Never crossed my mind. You know, now... I totally get why a lot of fans are jaded. I mean, I've said this before, and I've gone through the logic. I totally understand why the average fan doubts everything, because they have reasons to doubt everything. And I, I've said before, generally, if something seems too good to be true, it is. But, and, and, well, I don't want to go into the vaccine conspiracies. Personally, I'm triple vax, but I understand why people are skeptical of big pharma. and.
0: Uh, 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 going off the rails, it. Keep okay. it to running. Let's go. But.
1: Well, that story is interesting. You know, when she was set, setting up her own 10 mile record, she wanted to be drug tested. Most people don't even care about that. I remember thinking at the time, don't spend the money, care. Don't waste your money. You got a family to support, you know? And this is just such a cool story. When Nike signed her for the contract this year, I remember thinking, and then she missed the trials, was hurt. I was like, man, they just, I mean, I was like, why would Craig Masbach sign her? I guess it's kind of a nice story. Maybe she's like a social influencer for, for moms, but like, they're never going to get any elite performance out of her. And then she's got the damn American record right now.
0: Wait a minute, Robert. You thought they weren't going to get an elite marathon, an elite performance out of her. They signed her in early 2021, which is right after she ran 222, a huge PR at the Marathon Project. Like that, that's right there is an elite performance.
1: Okay. So that was after the marathon project?
0: Yeah. I, I signed remember, up off to the marathon project. i just yeah.
1: like, she's 37. Like, what else is she going to do? I figured her best days were behind her. I mean, you know, you can go, normally the, shoe comp- normally the shoe companies hire you based on, well, what they think your potential is when you graduate from college. And I'm like at 37, that's a long distant memory. You know, is she on the front nine of her career or the back nine of her career? And the answer to me would have been back nine. And then she sets this record, and I'm like, "God damn it! I hope her agent has a huge American record bonus in there, and I, I hope someone at Nike has patting Craig Mazback on the back for signing her because it's a cool story, but, they, I mean, did they ever think she'd end up on the Today Show? Come on.
0: Well, Robert, you're looking at this the wrong way, though. Like, if you've been running for 15 years, and you're in 37, and you're starting to decline, yeah, maybe someone would say, okay, I'm not re-signing you, it's not worth it. This woman who only got back into running a couple of years ago, she's still on the upswing at the moment. And maybe this is the peak or maybe the peaks next year. We don't know, but you're You need to evaluate it differently. And I think in general, what we've seen the last few years is that you can hit your peak in the marathon in your late thirties. I mean, Shalane Flanagan was 37 when she won New York. There's Linden. Maybe she, I think she might've been 35 when she won Boston, but, but Sarah Hall just broke the American record in the half marathon at 38. Eli Kipchoge is 37 years old and he just won the Olympic marathon by 80 seconds and he, honestly he's probably older than that. I just think when you know you're a marathoner you might not hit your peak till your late 30s. I'm sure
2: some people aren't happy but Nike which didn't have the best track record of treating pregnant women they now have the mom with two kids who Goes from a hobby jogger to breaking the American record. Their genius is at Nike. They also needed to change their image, so it's just a great story. And I'm looking up a couple things here. Oh, can Google anything these days? My wife is approximately five months, I think, older than Kira, and why? My wife ran a 332-23 marathon. uh, That's her PB. My wife was not a runner. In ninth grade, the track coach said, you can run anywhere you want if you stick with this sport. Instead, she went to lacrosse and field hockey. So any agents, anyone out there? Get in touch with me. Uh, I guess I got to send her out for a runner right now, right?
0: Yeah. Shall shall we move on to the other American record in Houston? I know that the someone breaking the American record in the marathon, that's a pretty big story. So I understand why we spent so much time on it, but there was a lot of other good stuff in Houston too, led by Sarah Hall.
1: We can go there one second, but going on take my filter off. Chris here told me not to say the following comment, but I'm going to say it anyways. I've developed a filter over the years, but I, don't know what I, I told Chris this morning, I said, we were talking about this. I'm like, what an amazing story. And I said, I can't believe people are talking about drugs. I said, I get it. I mean, I remember when all these Kenyans are running fast, and then they have ties to um, you know, former to to an Italian coach who used to have ties to cycling. Like, oh, could they possibly a lot of them be dirty? No, it's just a natural dump. Anyways, I understand the mindset as I said before, but I said I told Chris Lear, who wrote the book and Alan Webb. Sub so four, I said, I just can't believe people being so negative. I said, you know, I was joking with Jonathan Galt that the odds this performance definitely to me raises the odds that Alan Webb was on drugs. I'd say it doubles it. You know, because I always people used to ask me about Webb and drugs. I said, No way Webb's on drugs. Didn't think so at all. Never thought it, but if he was on drugs, he was on drugs in high school and (laughs) he started early. So if that was true, Rasco is the pharmacologist. Webb was on drugs in high school and now Kira's on drugs, well, 15, 20 years later. So Alan Webb's odds have gone up by double, but they're still way less than 1%, people. Okay, let's go to Sarah Hall's time. Another cool story. I mean, if it wasn't for Demata, I would be talking about Sarah Hall for the last... 25 minutes, it's just really amazing that the American half marathon record holders, male and female live together, are married together, set the records on the same course. And while they're the same age in college, same years in college, right? They did it what 15 years apart. How many years ago did Ryan Hall set his record?
0: It's 15 years. And Sarah had a great quote after the race that I thought encapsulated what this story is. She said, I thought it would be really special to do it today, with it being 15 years since Ryan set the AR here. That day changed our lives forever. It launched his career. That kind of shows the story of our careers. For him, he knocked it right out of the park from the beginning. And then for me, it's taken 15 years of just grinding and persevering and overcoming so many disappointments along the way to get to this point. It's really special. Ryan's been the number one supporter, the reason I'm still doing this. Because Ryan now coaches Sarah as well as being her husband. And it's it's awesome because yeah, Ryan Hall, one of the greatest phenoms in American long distance running history. Now, ironically, it was Sarah that won footlockers in high school, not Ryan. He happened to go up against the greatest high school cross country runner of all time, Dathan Ritzenhain. But on the roads, yeah, Ryan is a phenom, but he was essentially done by his 30th birthday in the sport. Whereas Sarah Hall, by her 30th birthday, she really hadn't done that much. She'd always been at these championships, but in terms of her own career, you didn't really think of her as a star. She was the definition of a jack-of-all-trades. She takes up the marathon in 2015. Even that doesn't go well initially, but she keeps just training and training. Every build-up gets a little bit better. 2019, she breaks out with that 222 in Berlin. Then you think, okay, there's something here. And then she just keeps getting better from there. It's really it is a great story of perseverance about finding your niche, and it's crazy because she probably wouldn't have even been in the sport had she not been married to a professional runner. She did not enjoy the lifestyle back in the 2000s when they were training in Mammoth. They were isolated from people. She wanted to get more involved in, I believe, her, you know, her uh, work with poverty, and if she hadn't married Ryan, she might be off in Africa right now doing poverty work and instead she was like well ryan's a professional runner i want to support him i'm gonna stick it out and continue being a pro runner eventually ryan retires sarah keeps going keeps getting stronger and now she's the fastest ever at the age of 38 in the half marathon it's just a terrific story
1: now if you want predictions on this i don't think this record lasts long ryan hall's record has lasted for 15 years I'd be stunned if Sarah Hall as the American record holder at the end of this year in the half marathon.
0: I'll give her this year. I would say by the end of 2023, I think it'll be Wayney Calardy or possibly someone else. But I think it will last less than two years.
2: Yeah, for those of you who didn't see the race or not looking at the results, Hall 67-15, breaking Molly Huddle's record of 67:25. There were a couple other Americans. We can get to them in a second. He ran very well. If you know, is now part of the Puma Group. 67.42 in her debut. I mean, she missed the world record by 17 seconds. And they were all together until, what, the last Lost 5K. Months. Yeah, 5K. And Emily Durgan, 67.54. So three women, American women, under 68 minutes in one race. It shows, you know, the bar is rising. Because, but Sarah, I mean, she got absolutely crushed in this race. Vicuti, Chepangano, who, and World Athletics is called Victor Victory Chepangano. But we think Vicuti is right. Ran sixty five oh three. Winning, I mean, you get beat by two minutes and you break the American record. I think that's one shows there's room for improvement on this record. The fact someone in their debut is right behind them shows there's room for improvement on this record. But still, super cool story. I mean, yeah. W- without Kira's run, we would just be saying, "Oh, this is." We would have done twenty five minutes on this talking about Sarah's run here.
0: Yeah, and Sarah, Sarah herself admitted there has been times in her career where she thinks she was in better shape, but it either didn't come together in the race or she wasn't running a race this one she was in good enough shape and she was able to get the record but right Robert had a terrific stat in a week that was comparing the current American records in the half and full marathons and how far they off are off the world record and for the men's half and full marathons and for the women's marathon they're all three point something percent off Sarah Hall's American record in the women's half is six point nine seven percent off and I think part of that is because the half marathon world record for women is insane. It's 6252 by Letessa Gide. I think you can make a strong case. That is the greatest performance out of all those records. But it also shows you that there is some meat on the bone for the American record.
1: Definitely. I mean, the woman's the world's half marathon record is insane, but even if you add a minute to that, this is still gonna be the weakest record by far of the four, I mean, she's 423 off the world record. Damato's only 508 off the world record in the full marathon. Another way to think about Hall's time is if you double her time, she's still slower than the woman's marathon world record. I'm not trying to disparage it, but it's just, this record is not nearly as good. The other records, Keira D'Amato is 3.83% off the marathon record. Ryan Hall is 3.82% off. And then Khalid Kanucci is 3.27% off. So. I think that's enough on the women's half. Let's talk a little bit. Well,
0: I mean, do we want to mention that two Americans that no one expected to, well, not that no one expected, but I think they're not widely known just showed up and ran 67 minutes in this race? Like Fiona O'Keefe and Emily Duggan. I was looking at that. I, I expected Sarah Hole to be in the hunt for the American record. That didn't surprise me, but I'm looking at them like she might finish as the third American in this race. Like they were on American record pace too. And I don't know, it's just, that was pretty shocking to me. Fiona O'Keefe, this is a woman. She's a four-time All-American in cross country, but she was never one of the very, she was never a star in college. Like if if you look in terms of winning a national title, she was never particularly close to winning a national title. And Emily Duggan was not even a star in college. She didn't even qualify for NCAAs on the track. She's 27. She's bounced around. She's with Terrence Mahone now. And she runs sixty-seven fifty-four. I know she was fourth at USA Cross a couple of weeks ago, but I didn't think that would translate to a sub-68 half.
1: They both deserve major props. I mean, you talk about the four-time All-American in cross-country, that kind of reminds me of Miss D'Amato. But D'Amato was fifth. O'Keefe's best performance in cross-country was 13th. There's a big difference there. And I guess I, I did want to say one thing about the race winner. Vikati Chepengeno, she kind of reminds me of a younger version of Keri D'Amato in the sense of, this is a woman that was in the 1500 in Kenya for a long time. She ran 419 at age 16, 2009. Stuck with that all the way through 2018, when she was still running the semifinals of the Kenyan trials, finally moves up to the roads and has won like basically every half marathon in the United States since then. I think she's won Philadelphia three times, but she had never you know, her, her PR as of November was 68.03. She ran 67 in Philly and now 65. So, you know, I guess part of it just shows you sometimes people aren't going for fast times. But, you know, they're all, you know, interesting stories. Let's move to the men's race now. For the record, Ethiopia's Mokesha Mengessa won in 60.24. But what interested me here was, A, well, shout out to Caribou Arasa, Super impressive 6044 half marathon debut for the Ethiopian born American. It's kind of funny. He's Ethiopian born American who went to high school and college in America, but now lives in Ethiopia, but runs for America. It's a global economy, people it's a global economy, but you know, unsponsored fantastic run. But what's was more interesting in terms of things to talk about to me was the performance of these ex Hoka athletes. I mean, I'm the one that's been obsessed with super shoes really since the day we found out that Nike was camouflaging the shoes in 2016 to try to hide the fact that they had them before they reversed course and decided to brag about them. But you know, when Hoka sponsored the website a couple of years ago, I remember talking to Ben Rosario and said, like, you guys don't have these shoes, like going into the trials, like, Aren't you worried about it? Like right before the 2020 Olympic trials, he's like, no, we've got our own shoe. We got the carbon X and the rocket X and blah, blah, blah. I just, you know, we have good, 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 good product. And then Alephine Tulamek wins the wins the Olympic women's trials for Hoka. And that kind of quieted down the talk for a lot of people, but I remember thinking, Hey, look at Stephanie, Bruce, and Kellen Taylor. They're just 19 seconds, 63 seconds off. The team, if the shoes work, wouldn't that have put them on the team ahead of Sally Kipyeko or y'all are like, now, now, now John's like, no, Tolomec won. John tried to deny science just because one person, John beats COVID without the vaccine, doesn't mean the vaccine doesn't work.
0: I I I tried to deny your speculation at the time. You didn't have the science to back it up, Robert. You were just speculating. So that's what I was speculating.
1: But this weekend, I guess I haven't said what happened. But Rory Linkletter and Scott Fable, who both left the Hoka team a month ago, go out and run big half-marathon PRs in super shoes. Hoka does not have a super shoe. They do not have a Pebax foam super shoe. So Linkletter PRs by 36 seconds. And he said one of the reasons why he did leave the team was the shoes. Fable, who said the shoes were not a factor in his decision and actually famous a he penned a famous column called Let's All Take a Chill Pill, Super Shoes Edition, early, to la- early last year. He ran the biggest PR. He went a 107 PB. You can't tell me that it's not the shoes. Fobble, this guy hasn't PR'd in years, goes out and runs a minute PB the first time he puts them on. It's like what happened to me on Thanksgiving when I put on the shoes. I was like, my God, these things are amazing.
0: Well, I'm not going to deny that the shoes play didn't play a role i i'm i'm sure that they contributed and rory when he left poker and az elite did say that the shoes contributed in part for his to his decision to leave the group but you've also got to remember this is a very fast race in general like houston people don't go to run houston to run slow they go when they know they're in good shape and they go to rip a fast one so they did have that going for them i'd be interested to know they also changed coaches so maybe they would just go, I don't know. I'm just throwing in, these are some of the variables we have to consider. But obviously, the most obvious one is the shoes. And yeah, they both ran huge personal bests in those in Nikes.
2: I mean, Robert's getting too carried away. Because one, when we talked, he, if you listen to the Ritz podcast, he's like, hey, Ritz, a lot of athletes get a new stimulus from changing coaches. They run faster times. You broke the American record of 5K after switching coaches. So Rory's improvement of, what, 30-something seconds? That's not that crazy to me. A minute by Scott, yes. And the more important thing to me is the science of the studies. The study has been done by the guy in Texas, Let's Run to Outcome Podcast Listener. I guess we can put a link to it in the show notes that showed that this one study at least, maybe we need more, that the shoe wasn't up to snuff. So, I think Hoka, they make great shoes. Like, there's a reason tons of people are training in their shoes, but their racing shoes are putting their athletes at a competitive disadvantage. I think they should come out and say, you can race in whatever shoe you want. Um, and, you know, we hope we need to have a shoe that has the, I think it's called the p foam. Their shoe doesn't have the p foam because other companies have made shoes that look to be, I mean, Puma had some fast runners. Uh, Sarah Hall runs for Asics, and uh, but the bigger picture for me also, I think World Athletics they created the situation. They need to pay to finance the studies on this, and it should be done every single year. They should—I don't know what it would cost to do good studies, but say fifty thousand dollars a year—and just let people know, at least for a little while, athletes to know, like, hey, you're running at a competitive disadvantage or advantage, because we want a level playing field in the sport. That's what everybody wants, I think. Except, well, Nike, they, they don't, or maybe the shoe executives, because Nike launched the shoe at the Olympics and wanted their athletes to win because they had better shoes than everybody else not because they were better athletes than everybody else. But it's, it's a little bit un- unfortunate now, I think, because the only way to sort of test this, right, is when athletes switch companies. And it's not a perfect, you know, double-blind placebo study. But people are going to start drawing differences,
0: right? So. Well, he, the other thing is, well, and like, yeah, you, there are some other variables. Like I mentioned before, like if you look at Scott's marathon, half marathon track record, his last half marathon before this was the Michigan Pro, M- Michigan Pro Half in October twenty twenty. That was a race that came down to a sprint finish. He, he got beaten out, but he ran sixty two eighteen. Before that, his last half marathon, he ran one half marathon in twenty nineteen, which he won in 6509 as a marathon tune-up. Like, if you look at Ben Rosario's philosophy, which is grounded in the Hanson's philosophy, they're not going out and ripping a ton of half marathons all the time. Like, a lot of the time, if they're running a half marathon, it's part of build-up for a marathon. So, you know, the, the, the sample size is not enormous here. But again, I do think that the shoes played a role in here. And I think it's instructive to compare this to another brand one that only recently got back into distance running, and that's Puma. Because if we remember, Puma last year, they have a flurry of signings. They signed Molly Seidel. And there were a lot of questions at the start saying, wow, is Puma, like, are athletes not worried that they're going to be having an inferior product? Like, Puma hasn't had a distance shoe for years. They're suddenly going to come in with a competitive shoe. And I think the recent performances have kind of allayed those fears because we've seen how successful Molly Seidel was last year. She ran an American course record in New York. She was the bronze medalist in the marathon in Sapporo. Fiona O'Keefe ran in Puma and just ran 67.42. It's pretty interesting. They When they launched their pro athletes last year and their, their new shoes, they said they had spent years studying the shoes and made sure that when they came back in, they were going to be competitive. And I think so far it's borne out. Puma is pretty competitive compared to a brand like Hoka that's been around for a while that doesn't seem to have been able to catch up yet.
2: Well, John, just give Hoka the ultimate compliment, a brand that's been around a while.
1: Hoka is much newer than Puma. What's John talking about?
0: Not in, well, in distance. I'm saying Hoka has been making marathon shoes for what, almost 10 years now. Puma only, when was the last time you could buy a Puma marathon shoe before 2021? I don't think they even existed. I'm sure all along
2: you could. Puma's made running shoes for 50 or 60 years, John.
0: I don't know. I don't remember anyone racing a marathon in a Puma until. Last year, any pros at least.
2: Well, that's a sponsorship thing. I mean,
0: what I'm saying, was that a priority of theirs to make a marathon shoe for for the entire decade of the 2010s? I don't think so. Whereas Hoker, I'm sure it was one of their biggest priorities. I also think one other thing that's lost. Robert always says, "Well, if the shoes are worth two minutes and they were within 90 seconds or something at the Olympic trials, then they would have been on the team." You also have to take race dynamics into account just because like these differences are going to be their biggest in a race like Houston where it's just all out from the gun if it's a tactical race where the packs only breaking apart in the last few miles yes it will help you over the last few miles especially you know one of the big things about super shoes is you have more in your legs for the last 5 to 10 miles of a race but you know, just saying like, "Oh, that's the absolute difference," and you apply it to the entire course of the race. Well, no, it might only be really five miles of racing where you're separating from someone else. So, I just think those numbers are a good inference, but they're not—they can't just be applied across the board in every situation.
2: Great racing in Houston. 50th anniversary of this race. I mean, they deserve major props. Thank you, Chevron. Thank you, Ramco. I don't know if we were allowed to compliment oil companies these days, but they put some serious money into this race, and we got some great perf- and we got some great performances. But it's not good enough for everybody. The number one thread on the message board right now. And this is not even linked to on the homepage. We did not put this on the homepage. You can't control the masses, people. How does Sarah Hall accept her declining status? Number four, Kira D'Amato is suspicious. Number seven, I kind of view this as funny. Your move, Molly Seidel. And that didn't help some message poster who started a thread, you all suck. No wonder actual legit runners hate Let's Run. This guy just goes off essentially railing about these threads. Now, the Sarah Hall one kind of pissed me off a little bit, but we've people are entitled to their opinion. They're like, she's been... Eclipse by Keri D'Amato. How's she going to handle that? Keri D'Amato being suspicious? We've always said it's a let's run rule. You can speculate about drugs. We think it leads to a cleaner sport. Not necessarily we agree with the speculation, but I used to receive the nastiest emails because we let people say Lance Armstrong was a doper. As for the Molly Seidel, John, you pointed this out to me. Did you guys see this, Robert? On her Instagram... There was a post. She was kind of giving some props to Kira. And at the bottom of the th- her third story, it said it's like me and Kira, and there's two arms embracing. She says, not giving a damn what Let's Run thinks. That's fine. If that's her
0: attitude to the message board, they're they're going to look. Molly Seidel and almost every American pro has way more fans than Dow does. And the thing is. Those doubters, almost all of them congregate on Let'sRun.com. If you're going to find doubters in the sport, they're not usually going to be, well, I think our sport's too small for you to have Twitter haters. Like the massive sports, you might have some Twitter haters. But if you're a distance runner and you're going to have doubters, they're going to be on Let's Run. So people say, oh, I I did it. You know, the haters, like Cole Hawker, when he won the Olympic trials last year, he... He silenced the haters in his own stadium. No one's doubting Cole Hawker's talent. They were just saying like, oh, maybe he'll get second at the Olympic trials behind Centro, which by the way, that was my prediction. Am I a hater? Because I didn't think he'd win the national title at age 20. I don't know. But people want, if you're going to have doubters, they're going to be on Let's Run. And yeah, I'm sure there are some doubters for every pro, but Molly Seidel has way more fans than doubters. It just happens that her doubters are all in the same place.
2: Well, I think it shows, one, how small our sport is because, yeah, there's one place where people are actually talking about these pros. But I said this on the forum, and the poster said, oh, my God, making about yourself. I'm like, this proves Molly Seidel is at least aware of the threat. She might even be on there. And I think it proves she does care. And I don't care where she gets her motivation. But the fact she goes to Instagram unprompted and puts this on there, I think it's kind of interesting, right? It's like w- – The sports world is famous for this. Bill Belichick, Belichick, John, he's like, when the Patriots were like rolling, somehow he'd make themselves underdogs every year. You know, people are out to get us. And I think athletes, they need motivation. I think it's clear. Well, a pro athlete can say they don't post. But I love it when I meet someone, they're like, I don't go on the forums much. I'm like, why do you need to tell me that? I don't really care if you do or if you don't. But I don't know. Fans are going to be fans. I think it's pretty funny.
1: I say it all the time, folks.
2: Unlike Twitter, unlike Facebook, you can be this <laughs> on. 1844. Let's run. Uh-oh. Wait, didn't I say that the voicemail will be changed? Robert, have you changed the voicemail? <laughs> Do it right now, before the podcast gets released. you still got some time. Okay, wait. Now, this is what's going to happen. Before this podcast, when this podcast drops, the voicemail hasn't changed. If you can dial 1844, you need to... A- somehow tape it with your phone or prove this to me. And there's not an option seven for voicemail explicitly stated. I will, I will give you $100 and it'll come out of Robert's money. I can probably do that for the company. I'll just withdraw it and say it's a draw from Robert's ownership of the company.
0: All right. Can we get back to Robert's point here though? I like hearing Robert when he makes his points, he was about to say something interesting and I want him to go.
1: I thought Weldon was going to apologize because a number of people did text us at 844-538-7786, as well as leave voicemails for the with name suggestions for the new coaching tour, pro coaching group tour. So I haven't taught Walden how to access those text messages. I did forward you the voicemail. I think you were going to give out a free pair of shoes or something. And now I've lost my train of thought.
0: You're going to say something about Molly Seidel, about the Let's Run thread. You you, you you say this all the time.
1: I said, look, everyone in life wants to be a victim. People think that's a negative connotation. Look, I want to think that you know, we actually have real minorities who are victims being people racist against them. Now the white man wants to be a victim. People are out to get them, but it's the same mindset. Everybody wants to be an underdog. It's easier to be an underdog and to think you're not being appreciated. I mean, Cole Hawker was being hyped on these boards for six months straight. And he thought people were doubters. Yes, there was a few doubters, but you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Sports have people that think you're great. Sports have people to think, You're not so great. I thought the, your move, Molly Seidel thread was fascinating because it's playing on the Cole Hawker sent rivalry. And it's like, okay, D'Amato puts this out there. How does Seidel respond? I thought it was a great thread. Now, some people are saying D'Amato is the best American marathoner now because she's run faster. I think that's personally a dumb argument, but I think it's interesting. It's the type of thing you see on these ESPN Fox sports shows. And then I'm I'm like three pages into the thread, One guy's like, this is misogyny and this is why no one likes this website. I'm like, Okay. One post out of 60 is extremely negative. Like it, this is fun to me. This is cool that people are debating this and I don't get why people are so thin skinned. Like what are actually two of the higher, most responsive two two of the most popular threads today in terms of responses? Well, they're both related to the NFL. Kyler Murray is the most overrated professional athlete ever. LOL. I actually posted on that defending Colin Murphy. And Dak Prescott is no elite QB. He's a journeyman, just mediocre. He will never lead the Cowboys to promised land. I think both of those are gross overstatements. I think both quarterbacks are, I mean, it just depends on how you view it. But let's get into the real debate here. Do you guys view D'Amato as the best marathoner in America right now over Seidel? No, Absolutely I don't. Absolutely not. And I like the disgust Well, then I think it's an absurd statement. But I
0: the Absurd? I think the outright dismissal is a little disrespectful as well. She did just run faster than any American ever. But, yeah, look, she, she got beat by Seidel at the Olympic trials. She was the third American in New York. Sorry, in Chicago in the fall. No, Molly Seidel still has the crown. But this was an exciting run. I hope that they're not going to be racing. Well, I don't think Karina DeMott is running her spring marathon. Sounds like she's going to be doing the track. Maybe we can get them to race each other in New York. We actually have a showdown there.
1: I hope that the two have a great rivalry in the years to come. And this reminds me this is why I don't like having rabbited race after rabbited race. Like, right now, we know Molly Seidel is an amazing marathon racer. We don't know what she's really like in a pace, race, fast from the gun. Hasn't had great success at that. But when you have a pace race in almost all these majors, it takes out all of the strategy. For the most part, it's just who can run the fastest. I've tried to get these marathons to alternate it like they do comrades. Uphill, downhill, they should do rabbited, non rabbited every other year.
0: All right, moving on. Weldon, do you want to serve up a clip as a teaser for our interview with Dathan Ritzenhein. I really enjoyed this conversation we had last week. We published it on Tuesday with Ritz talking about OAC and their success in 2021, what they're hoping to build upon in 2022. And I'm excited
2: about this new series. Apparently we're going to have a name for it besides let's run.com pro coaching tour. Once in, I that. thought that
0: was a name.
2: Well, maybe if we want to give away... We said the next listener audio or text used on the air, we'll get a free pair of on shoes. So maybe we'll use one of the names, maybe not. But I've got something for you guys. Andrew Brick Johnson, the famous TV movie music composer who is a podcast listener and did our does our intro music. He heard... He's a hardcore podcast listener because he heard us last time talking about this coaching series. Unprompted, John, he sent me some possible music for the coaching series. He says we can drop some coaches quotations and talk on top of this, but tell me what you guys think.
1: That's amazing. That's better than the ESPN jingle. We need that as the podcast
2: jingle. And okay, so when do I start talking? Like this week on the letron.com pro coaches tour, dance and ritzenheim.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think right like that. It's really good. It's it's definitely better than hearing Robert's breaking news thing or taps every other week on this thing, on this show. So the full video is up on the website.
2: If you want to get the audio as a podcast, join the supporters club. Let's run.com slash subscribe. That audio is already in the supporters club podcast feed, but I'm going to play a few clips for everybody else. Also to get Robert heated up here because Robert loves to say running's all physical. And Dathan has this to say about that.
3: The mental part is so much of it. Like everybody, the physical part to train. I mean, mean, a lot of people don't do a whole lot of different stuff. Like it's pretty based, you know, like, it's pretty. You have to have the same things in every system to be successful. But really, if they're confident and they believe in what they're doing, you'll see the them be able to go to that place that makes great races. Whereas, you know, they're they're not, uh, you know, they're not. They're just not going to cave. They're going to get the most out of themselves on that day.
2: So there's Ritz saying, top level
0: coaching. It's not the workouts. It's getting the athletes mentally prepared. I mean, he would know. He's a guy. He went through a number of different coaches in his professional career and his college career, one of the greats, Mark Wetmore. So when Ritz speaks about that sort of thing, you listen.
1: I don't understand what I'm supposed to be doing, guys. So a super, super talented dude who signs super, super talented runners to his pro team is telling me how talent doesn't matter? If that's the case, why doesn't he coach the same guys that he was coaching at Grand Valley State, the Division II schooler? Why doesn't he just sign the fifth guy off the Colorado team and coach him up? I'm not saying that running's not mental at all, but our rags to riches stories that we've been exalting and Let's Run for the last hour plus, or the woman who was fifth at NCAA cross country, the woman who was a high school national champion, <laughs> yes. You know, once you're seven feet tall, the mental game makes a big deal in the NBA. Once you're super, super talented, the mental game makes a big, a, a big game. And this is running. Weldon said, cure the motto. Now that she's running 219, everyone else is just going to go right 219. Guess what? Dina Castor ran 219, 15 years ago, and no one came close to it.
2: But I think there's two different things going on here, Robert. One is how much is coaching and how much is mental, but of the coaching, I think there's a mental component. You're ignoring that. You're just saying it's talent or mental. There's also the physical component of the workouts. I think if you would say a lot of coaching is designing the workouts, you have to have the proper workouts. And he's saying, Oh, the workouts are secondary. We're all kind of doing the same stuff. It's the mental thing that distinguishes it. So maybe the argument is you need top level talent, a mixture of workouts. And then the mental thing is what is the cherry on top.
1: Why is the NFL by far the most fun sports league to watch? I guess some could argue there's 16 games versus 80 or 162, but to me it's because the talent is evenly distributed. You get a first-round pick, the next team gets a first-round pick. All the way down. Then you do the second round, and then the third round, and you all have the same amount of money to spend on salaries.
0: Well, that's how the NBA works as well, but... And that's that leaks horribly imbalanced and always has been. But I I get your logic point. Yes.
2: Okay. I'm glad Robert, this was unprompted mentioned the NFL because the other clip I wanted to play is related to how Dathan views his team. The team
3: is very important. That team model that like we run this almost like a, uh, almost like a, a professional sports team. Like, it's it's there we're together five six days a week Um, uh, but it, also knowing like there are very individual goals and very individual people and and i want to keep that going i don't want to have a big blanket program i want to have the best program for ollie and the best program for alicia and the best program for leah whoever it is like i want them to know like they're going to get the same amount of you know thought into what's best for them
0: and I thought that clip was amusing because he said they run it almost like a professional sports team. No, it, it is a professional sports team. Like the Bowman Track Club is a professional sports team. We have professional sports teams in running. It's okay to admit that. But I do think it gets to the point where they have a very close bond bet- between their athletes. A bunch of them live together. They're all rooting for each other. On brought out all They, they have well, half their team's international. They brought them out all to the trials to watch their other teammates who are American go for spots on the Olympic team. So I think that's really cool. But again, you can't coach Joe Klecker and Ollie Thor the exact same, the different runners. So yeah, I think another, I agree with that point is I think it's good to have the benefits of the group, but you can't just get locked into the same training for everyone.
2: And also our esteemed Rojo has said he'd love to be a pro coach because the lifestyle's better. One thing he sort of, I sort of picked up behind the scenes was Dayton said he traveled like a third of the year last year. That's a lot of travel, John. So Rojo, what do you think? Pro coach,
0: easier or harder
2: than college coach? Way easier. Well,
0: it also depends on the coach, right? Like Pete Julian, he doesn't even live in the same city as where his team's based. Jerry Schumacher, I don't think he's flying out to Flagstaff for the duration of their training camps. Like... It sort of depends on who you are. But if you're Dathan Ritzenhein and you're just starting out in a pro group and you're trying to build trust, yes, I think you're going to go to every training camp. You're going to try to go to as many meets as possible to build up those relationships to show you commit, how committed you are. I'm not saying that like P. Julian and Jerry Schumacher aren't committed to their groups. I'm just saying they're in a position where they have now built up some trust with their athletes and they probably don't feel the need. They have, well, Pete does have an assistant with Sonia O'Sullivan, but you know, Jerry has Shalane Feinigan and Pascal Dobert. They can sort of deputize and if, if needed.
1: That's the perfect segue into the track action. I wanted to talk about, but I'm going to be unfortunately not able to talk about, I had to hit pause, just got a call from my son's preschool. We have COVID positive. I have to pick him up immediately. My son was not in school yesterday, so he was not around the person who was positive, positive, but they're still going to shut down the school. So that means I'm on vacation for five days. Days, days, date, guys. I'm on paternity leave, I guess. But
0: you get paternity leave like four years after your kid was born, <laughs> John.
1: I'm still recovering. Um, I did want you guys to talk briefly about this all thing mode debut. I mean, she did go undefeated. It's going to be hard to top that, her season from 2021, when she won Olympic gold and set an American record and went undefeated in the 800. I was thinking she could do it if she goes does the 4A double or breaks the world record. If she breaks another her own American record and goes undefeated again the 800, it's kind of equaling last year's. Plus, the world championships isn't as significant as the Olympics. I thought 437.99 was pretty good for her. I mean, it's equal to basically her 1500 from last April. But it struck me is what i noticed was did you guys see who else was at this meet the nike union athletics club the pete julian team was down there and i thought hmm is pete trying to poach miss Moo? is he trying to get down there she meets the nike pros et cetera not poached in a bad way but when she graduates she's got experience John,
0: with the group
2: it's amazing he butchered her name keep going <laughs> No, excuse me.
0: I definitely heard a Seidel earlier this podcast and it might've come from you. Well, yeah, uh, so, I, I, I was aware of it as well.
1: So what do you guys think of that theory of mine? Very smart by him. If you're going to go to meet you got to find a first of all, a lot of people in code might may not let you come down there, but a Nike school is going to let a Nike coach come down there. And I was thinking, oh, you know, wouldn't, it wouldn't be the dumbest thing for Pete to get off thing to like the group and et cetera. And then I noticed also she ran heat one of the mile. And heat two was Alexa Framson. They can't even run in the same heat of the mile. And like, I think Mo was like winning by like, I think she almost laughed everybody in her race. So Framson ran heat two in 446. That's what's wrong with our sport, folks. Right uh, I there.
0: mean, that's kind of lame. Usually I'll compare, complain about that stuff, but not the Ted N- Nelson invitational. I don't really care. if. They, I mean, this is a practice meet, let's be honest. The, the biggest result from this meet you know, all right, I think Mo 437, 436, that's fine. Season opener, great, let's move on. She's she's we'll we'll really judge her based on what she does at Millrose against RJ Wilson. The most interesting race of this meet was the men's eight hundred. You had Craig Engels going against Brandon Miller, the NCAA runner up last year, 144 guy from Texas AM. They had a great battle down to the wire. to 147-49. It was Brandon Miller, the 19-year-old, who came out on top there. So, like we said, he was second in the NCAA last year outdoors. I think he is right now the king of the 800 in the the NCAA. He's going to be the guy to beat moving forward. This was a good opening effort for him. The reigning NCAA champion, Charlie Hunter, who's now with Union Athletics Club as well. He was third, but he was also doubling back from the mile. So, more of a workout for him.
2: The Ingalls and Miller thing thing. It's called a race. It's a great race. I mean, it came right down to the wire. I'll put a link to Texas a and posts of these things on Twitter, which was good. And I think it's smart, right? Pete Julian, go down there. I'm sure Nike saying, Hey, I think at some point you're going to need a coach. Outside of texas a and i A&M, I'm not sure why she actually. She could probably just stay there, but at some point when she graduates from college, I think staying at A&M, maybe even through the next Olympics, and going to school, I don't know. Maybe she needs other people to work out with. But make her a volunteer assistant, I don't know if that would work or not. I mean, she's the greatest thing America's seen ever, I think. Maybe at the 400 and the 800. (laughs) So (laughs) don't mess this one up. But I assume, you know, she's going to, it's her decision, right?
0: Well, not always. Sometimes with her, I think it would be her decision. Sometimes they sort of force you out or to a Nike sponsored coach. Look, yeah. After last season, I don't think there's going to be any immediate pressure on a thing mode to change things up. I'm not sure if I buy this recruiting angle, Texas A&M. They just have, they have a good track they happen to be hosting a meet kind of makes sense to run there. I guess they could have gone out to Spokane. There was a meet there over the weekend, but I think they're doing that next month. So yeah, I'm not really into like any recruiting efforts and also thing Mo, oh, okay. If they're saying she has to go with the Nike affiliated coach, who else is she going to join apart from Pete Julian? Like she's not going to go to Jerry because that's not an 800 group. Pete Julian already coaches Brazier and Raven Rogers. Now maybe having Raven Rogers there is a, problem for training together. I mean, you don't want to train with one of your biggest rivals, but clearly he's shown he can get big time results in the 800. He's the obvious choice. If they're making him her go with the Nike affiliated coach, I don't think he need, she needs to go fly down for some quasi recruiting trip, but yeah, for now, I would say until she starts tailing off, let her train with Milton Mallet if that's what she wants to do. She, this is only her second year in college. If she's still taking classes, maybe she wants to graduate. So, I don't know. But I don't think there needs to be any rush to change things.
2: Yeah, things in just a ugh, wonderful situation. I mean, she's going to be a multimillionaire, but she really—I mean—but you got to think also. Last year was her freshman year of college. She really seemed to be enjoying Texas and But think back when you're a freshman—you're first living on your own for the first time if she wants to do the college experience three more years, I would be fine with it. I mean, not that I- I'm glad she has your permission, it. Weldon. I, I don't want it to say it that way, but I'm just saying if I was advising her, if I'm at Nike, I'd say, hey, yeah, we're fine with this. Now they may, their history, their track record is they're not fine with it. They do just seem to push people towards training groups, their own training groups. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't be messing with, with what's working with her because Milton Mauard, let's not forget, she was a 201-800-meter runner when she went to Texas A&M last year. Now she's a 156.
0: 155. 04. Wait, how did I
2: forget a second? Is, is Kiwi Hodgkins only one fifty? She's 156.
0: No, she's 155 as well, I believe.
2: Wait, they both took off six seconds. That's just sick. This is going to be a great year for running. And that was one thing Ritz said also. It's like people forget the start of last year, there was just COVID meets. There wasn't stuff going on. There's some thread on let's run now. Like Essentially, it's like what are the odds the NCAA meet gets canceled? And I'm like, none. They're not getting canceled.
0: If it wasn't canceled last year, it's not going to cancel this year. And speaking of great season, it is going to be a great year, Well, then, because we've got the Milrose games coming up, but Robert Johnson has made a bold claim in this week's week that was. He said that Milrose is not even the best indoor meet of this season. because Well, obviously, we've got the world indoors in Belgrade in March, but we've also got, on February 17th, the Meeting Eau de France Pas de Calais in, in France. Last year, if you remember, that's why Gudolf Sagai broke the world record in the 1500. Jakob Ingebrigtsen almost broke the world record in the 1500 as well on the men's side. American record for Grant Holloway. net Wale also almost broke the 3K world record. And this year's fields, they're trickling out. And they're going to be incredible. Salomon Borrega, Olympic champion in the 10,000. He said he's going for the the 3K world record. Gudolf Sagai's back. She's running the mile this year. I wouldn't be surprised if that's a a world record attempt. Jakob Ingebrigtsen, Olympic champion in the 1500. Grant Holloway, world record holder in the 60 hurdles. And Marcel Jacobs, the Olympic 100-meter champion, he's running there as well. That's a lot of... You know, it's three Olympic champions, a world record holder. It's really exciting. I I think that's going to be a terrific meet. It's February 17th, but... We saw how fast the times were last year. I think we could see some world records this year.
2: That may be a better meet. But not for U.S. distance fans. And that meet won't be on national TV. It's not accessible to most people in America. I'm, I'm sticking by it. For an American distance fan, American track and field fan. Get to the armory. June January 19th. Stay January for the 29th. East- Ooh, oops! Sorry, I don't want you to buy tickets for the wrong day. January nineteenth is what, like tomorrow. January twenty actually. <laughs> <laughs> Evil twin party afterwards. It's gonna be epic. You can meet John and I because
0: we'll be working right, and this party will be going on. This will be great. Yeah, quote unquote working. I, from my experience, working for Let's Run, if there's a party going on in the middle of us, like we might be able to get some work done, but we're probably gonna slug a couple beers as well.
2: If, If Robert doesn't come to the meet, we'll make him do all the work. And we'll, we'll, John, we'll be networking. That's what it's called. Genius.
0: Genius. Yes.
2: All right. And listen to the Ritz podcast, your supporters club member. I don't know what we're going to do with this Dina and Kira D'Amato thing. For sure, there'll be a video on Let's Run. And I guess for sure, we'll drop that podcast in supporters club feed. A lot of great action. A lot to talk about. Very exciting year, John. Until the Friday 15, everybody, signing off.